Heart. You gotta have heart. Miles and miles of heart. What is heart? Heart is running through a return man when the game is on the line. Heart is giving everything you have in practice, day after day. Heart is finding the strength to run down the field one more time when you can barely breathe. The heart in me pumps Husker Red. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Five Heart Podcast, brought to you by CornNation.com and hosted at JitteryMonkey.com, part of the Jittery Monkey family of podcasts. You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, CornNation.com, and of course JitteryMonkey.com under the Five Heart Podcast uh, tab or heading or whatever you want to, whatever you want to. Uh, call that. Anyway, I'm Greg Mahochko, one half of your broadcast team, and joining me is Haas Reuter. Haas, uh, we had, let's, let's just, let's just. I mean, it's six days after the fact, but we had a, a very small window of opportunity to record right after that Northwestern game. Of course, Nebraska losing in overtime. Uh, we had, we had the idea, you were prepared to go full scorched earth, and you said no. Uh, we don't necessarily want to put the NSFW tag on it. Uh, however, you know, a week later, almost a week later, you're still feeling pretty scorched earth, correct? Yes, that is that is correct. All right. So obviously, North, North, Northwestern's. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't categorize them as a bad team. They're not a Rutgers or a Maryland. Um, they're not Purdue. I think Purdue is is you know even up a little bit. They're respectable, but still coming into your field, and it's it's been a series with Northwestern ever since Nebraska joined the Big Ten, where uh, opposing teams more often than not, or, or, or the visiting teams, I should say, more often than not, are the ones who are going to uh, pull the victory out. This one went to overtime, where Nebraska just looked ineffective. Uh, they couldn't do anything. They didn't they didn't wow me with their overtime offensive scheming. And the defense, obviously, giving up the touchdown on the first uh, possession for the Wildcats, didn't didn't do the offense any favors there. No, not at all. Um, that overtime was just kind of a the same litany of the Mike Riley era, really. I, uh, just bad situational uh, football, both from a coaching standpoint and a playing standpoint. And I mean, you look at Northwestern, I. I hate to transition over to being run the ball guy, but for the sake of the art, you know, what I'm trying to get at, I will. Northwestern just pounds the rock, you know, all the way into the end zone in the overtime session. Nebraska doesn't run the ball at all, and including, you know, on second down, they go with a, we go with a screen pass that we haven't hit but twice all year for a game. And by that point, you know, late in the game, late game situations or overtime, stuff like that. By the time you get to those points, it's not about what your game plan was. It's about playing situational football. It's what you did well, what they did well, you know, what you did badly, what they did badly, and how are you going to mitigate, you know, that to be in your favor, you know? How are you going to tailor that to being a call that works, you know, both from a, you know, something that your team can execute and something that takes advantage of what the, what your opponent is doing. And, uh, that play calling in overtime was just, 
I mean, it was it was one of the more single, one of the most single worst displays of situational football that I've seen in a long time. When you don't, like, like you said, they, they've not had success with the screen. We haven't seen much of the screen game at all this year. Why would you choose overtime in a conference game to bust out the screen? That that I think was the 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 mind-boggling part. Uh, talk about other horrendous decision-making. Tanner Lee slipped back a little bit, regressed. We'd been talking, uh, you know, the last month or so about how far he's come along and, uh, you know, that, that Purdue game. And, and man, we we were pumping the sunshine a week ago uh, after that, you know, win at Purdue. But then, you know, three interceptions and looked like he looked, you know, before the Wisconsin game. It just was not... It was not a good outing for Tanner, um, but again, it's it, it, as we've talked about, and I'm not making excuses for him or, or trying to defend him, but we're still dealing with an offensive line that is patchwork. Uh, you know, two starters were out, and as we talked, you know, last week, and we 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 don't. All right, folks, we're not going to go another half hour on offensive line, but <laughs> against Big Ten defensive lines, you've got to be better. And they just were not. Exactly. And, I mean, the most salient example of that's on Lee's third interception where we're in slide protection back to the right. And, you know, same thing happened in the Oregon game with a linebacker coming free and, you know, getting a shot in on Lee. Uh, Same thing happens in game, was this, game nine, as it did in game two. And, line, you know, Northwestern runs a weak side little twist, you know, with their DT and their DN. Foster's trying to protect a gap that's not even his gap to protect, you know. It's Con- Conrad's got it handled, you know. There's no there's no threat in the A gap, you know, for Foster. And so he turns and that, you know, allows the stunt to get, almost get home on Lee and you know he's forced into a quick throw I think he's trying to hit JD Spielman in the flat and instead he's not able to you know really set up for the throw he just gets rid of it and it's picked and you can call the pick fluky you know which it really was you know it wasn't really a function of Lee's doing but just the standpoint that you know you're going up you're playing in the Big Ten where there are a lot of good defensive lines linebackers a lot of good smart defensive coordinators and the same issues that occurred in game two are still plaguing you in game nine. I mean, that it, it you can't reconcile that. It's just, it's almost mind-boggling. I'm kind of struggling to really articulate it at this point. Let's talk about a, a bright spot on the field. Uh, I thought Marcus Newby, you know, on the defensive side had a, had a beautiful game. He, he was obviously mentioned quite a bit, had the pick six uh, himself. Uh, mm-hmm. What we've, we've been talking, you know, he's a name we've been seeing, you know, for a, f- a few years now. Um, Dedrick Young is another one. These guys have, I think, tremendous upside, but I don't know if it's, it's the new three, four. Or it, you hear their names a few times, but it doesn't seem like they're uh, having, I'd say, Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm just going to put a statement out there, and you tell me, yeah, I support that statement, or shut up, Greg, let's move on to something else. Um, are we seeing as much production from them? It, it seems it seems like 
you know, Dedrick Young particularly, I, I'd say that Newby probably has picked up uh, a little bit this season, but uh, Dedrick Young um, maybe is, I don't know, maybe it's because it's a more well-balanced defense that we're not relying on him as much. seems like he, we were calling his name or hearing his name quite a bit more last year. Yeah, Dedrick Young kind of just blends into the background. You know, when you're watching games, and, um, when you when you go rewatch him, it's pretty evident. You know, that he he gets blocked or he's out of position. I mean, he's he's a he's not a great football player, but he's not he's not the world's worst football player either. But the scheme really does him no favors to begin with. Uh, we had a lot of alignment issues. You know, whether that's issues that were caused by players just having mental mistakes and lining up or alignment issues that stem from co- the coaches just put not putting them in good positions to succeed. But so Dedrick, you know, and the other reason why, you know, he's kind of quiet and doesn't really jump off the screen a lot is he's really just taking on blockers, guards, fullbacks. Um, but newbie, you know, that was nice to see him really get a, you know, show out for a game because the potential's always been there. I feel like in the secondary, we still have the same guys making the same mistakes. Uh, Lamar Jackson, man, I really want to get behind the kid, but and DiCaprio Boodle, uh, Tweety over at the Big Red Copcast will hate me for saying this, but man, when those guys get beat, they just get stupid. Uh, sometimes, yep. sometimes it works out. I mean, there are you know in. Uh, in basketball, you know, there's the smart foul. Uh, in football, I'd say there's a smart penalty. You know, it's, okay, I can either give up 15 yards or I can give up a touchdown. Um, they've given up plenty of 15-yard uh, penalties, it seems, the last few weeks. But, I, you know, it and, – and, again, I'm 35 years old. I'm out of shape. I've never been in shape. I've never played uh, football at any organized level. Um, and I have – while I do have collegiate eligibility remaining, ain't nobody knocking on my door or ringing my phone. So it's easy for me to say I'm not out there, but, man, these these guys were brought in. Lamar Jackson, our Lamar Jackson, was uh, more sought out than Louisville's Lamar Jackson, and he won a Heisman. Yep. Um, but, so it's easy for me to say, hey, you know, just have you guys just tried not getting beat? I, I completely acknowledge that it's so easy for me to say that, and, uh, you know... It, Again, the power of the internet. If they were standing face to face, I wouldn't be saying that. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't. I, I I don't have the big enough cojones to uh, you know look look DiCaprio Boodle or, or Lamar Jackson in the face and say, "Have you guys just tried playing better?" No, I I I I, I don't have the balls to do that. Um, but man, it, it's every week, and 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 these Big Ten quarterbacks know. Hey, if if they get out of position. We're going to attack them, and we're going to be pretty relentless about it. Yeah, uh, and again, going back to the line, when we were discussing the linebackers, it's kind of the same function of the alignment does them no favors. But like you said with Lamar Jackson, when when he gets beat, I mean, he's he's out of position. It's, I mean, there's nothing close about it, and um. And Honestly, almost seems like he becomes a head case. Then you know, like yeah, yeah, punching, you know, taking a swing, which just I've been pretty pissed off, you know, 
watching football games from, just from my couch and, you know, <laughs> in the limited playing, you know, playing football, you know, in high school, plenty of times that I've been ticked, you know, without the high stakes of Division One, Right. You know, football, of course. But, you know, throwing a punch has no place in a game. You know, it, it really does not. And, um, it just kind of encapsulates the frustration, though, just of it kind of everyone at this point to kind of get a little bit esoteric here, you know, um, that punch just kind of, I mean, if you summed up this Nebraska football game in one season, that punch would be it. I want to talk about, and I sent this to you as soon as it happened on Saturday. I said, man, we got to talk about this because there was some, uh, there was someone on that field last Saturday who was uh, not frustrated uh, maybe he would have liked his team to play a little bit better, but at the end of the day, his team got the win. Pat Fitzgerald in the post-game interview, uh, you know, right there on on the Big Ten Network, uh, he said uh, that he loves and respects Mike Riley. And hey, you mm-hmm. know what? Uh, Mike Riley's been around a long time. Uh, he's contributed a lot to the sport of football, both collegiate, NFL, CFL, European. You know NFL Europe uh, Aussie League, Aussie rules football whatever he's contributed so I understand that you you respect him but man when he said that that just reeked to me and, and he said uh, you know uh, that we had you know when when an opposing coach who by the way just beat your team on your field in overtime in November when he says oh I, I love I, you know great coach I love playing him you know. Uh, you guys got a good one here, and Nebraska's got a good one here. Man, that just reeked to me of he's a coach I just love to play because I know that I got a good shot of winning, and I hope they keep him around because I'm going to keep seeing those you know marks in the win column every every year. That's what that that and and he might not have meant it like that. He might have been genuine. You know what? I really like Mike Riley. He's a good guy. Uh, you know, type of thing. But man, that just that stunk to me of of arrogance. And I'm not a big Pat Fitzgerald fan to begin with, uh, but that just that. Give me your thoughts on that because, like I said, that that just man, that's that stunk of keep him around because we love beating him. That's yeah, that's exactly what it was. Uh, anytime that a coach champions for another coach to keep their job, that's exactly what they mean. Yeah, keep him. He's a bum. You know, I'm gonna get the win against him every year. He or he's no threat. He's no threat to me on the recruiting trail. He's no threat to me on the field. You know, I'm just the, I mean, with college football being such a competitive, high-stakes game, why would you want someone, you know, that is a threat at, you know, taking over for someone who isn't, you know, a threat to your program, your livelihood? So I always bristle up when coaches, opposing coaches say that about whoever is coaching Nebraska. Like, Urban Meyer did the same thing with Bo Pelini, you know, back in 2014. Code for, yeah, keep him. He sucks. Yeah. I can't imagine, you know, going back, you know, 20-plus years ago when – and all right, this is not a 90s Husker football podcast, but stay with me, folks. I can't imagine, you know, any of the – you know, Bill Snyder maybe because he – and. Tom Osborne are kind of cut from that same old school cloth, uh, but uh, you know the coach at the time of Missouri or Iowa State or mm-hmm. uh, Kansas or Colorado. I can't imagine any of saying, uh, you know what, and, and maybe 
maybe this is different, but t- Tom Osborne was a tried and true champion, um, and and he won big games, won national championships, won conference championships, and did so much for the sport in the heartland. So maybe I'm drawing a false parallel because I could see where they would be like, you know what? Yeah, he he's a you know he's a great guy. He's a, but man, I can't imagine any of any of those coaches ever coming out and saying, oh yeah, man, you guys got a good one here. I, I hope I hope he's back next year. You know, it, it's that that's what Fitzgerald was saying. He's like, yeah, you know, without saying it, he said your coach is on the hot seat. But man, I sure would like to kick his butt again next year. You know, <laughs> that, that's what yeah. I took away from that. I can't imagine. Uh, you know anybody saying that about Tom Osborne twenty plus years ago? Yeah, I mean, exa- right after he said that on Saturday, I was you know sitting there with some friends who I watched it with, and I was just shaking my head, going, you know, kind of what the you know I don't even. I mean, in my state after the game, I said it with you know a few colorful words, <laughs> you know, mixed in. But I mean, what are you doing at that point? Yeah. It's so it's so obvious, you know what what the end game is when the opposing coach does that and uh, makes it, you know, with the impending coaching change that we do, you know, we are going to likely, I think that's a pretty safe bet. Uh, see, I hope it's someone who just kicks Pat Fitzgerald's ass every year. I would like, I mean, here's the thing. And, and this is me I don't know, grasping at straws probably. Um, and obviously, as Nebraska was losing in overtime, Iowa was putting an ass-whooping on Ohio State, which, as much as I hate Iowa, and I do, but I've got family up there, which I've documented here before, uh, I, I just <laughs> really don't like Ohio State. Um, so I wasn't particularly disappointed by the outcome of that game. Um, it's gonna Me make, neither. It's going to make things the day after Thanksgiving uh, – that much more uh i mean i would love to be the you know i I would love for nebraska to be the team that that just you know hands it to them uh you know for whatever reason maybe they're overlooking us because you know they're going to a bowl game and i don't know we may or may not be at that point um sad to say you know a couple weeks ago i was like yeah we're gonna go three and one these last four games and that obviously didn't happen um but uh uh i would love to you know, hand it to them. Like all, you know, Nebraska comes out firing on all cylinders, uh, and and just does to Iowa what Iowa did to Ohio State, which oh, also, yeah, you know, and, that'd and, be beautiful. And no Nebraska fan would would argue with me on that. Um, but man, it just seems like that that challenge just you know escalated uh, for the day after Thanksgiving. Um, lots of stuff to talk about because more and more conversation about you know coaches you mentioned you know and, and we talked about a few moments ago you you were done i mean you were you were ready to go scorched earth are are you to the point where we need to clear house in the coaching staff I, where where's your mind right now yeah i i'm to that point uh i mean admittedly three years is a pretty short you know, incomplete body of work uh, in college football to really adequately change a culture, turn over a roster, 
implement new schemes, but, you know, living just kind of in the current context of, you know, current conditions of where we're at, a football school doesn't fire its AD after the third game of the year without putting the football coach in serious jeopardy of uh, losing his job. And then when, you know, you lose by three touchdowns and six touchdowns and you know, another touchdown in overtime and the games thereafter. Um, there's not a whole lot of, there's not a very strong case for any retention. And so I think we, we've arrived at the point where it's, you know, it, it sucks to say appropriate to openly discuss coaching changes without, you know, any, you know, without holding back at all. But it just, it is what it is at this point. Is there anybody that you would, if if you were in charge, or you know, let's say you you are new coach coming in, is there anybody that you retain from this staff? Um, I would think about retaining um, Dante Williams and perhaps Keith Williams, but as far as you know. Well, John Perella would definitely be one as well. His defensive line, you know, he he improved the D-line from, you know, when Hank Hughes coached in 15 to sure. Perella taking over in 16. And this year, D-line's not getting a whole lot of help, you know, at all because, again, scheme and alignment. Um, so I'd say those three would be candidates for retention, uh, especially with the recruiting prowess of Dante Williams and Keith Williams. Um, but other than that, I mean, new new head coach bringing his own OC. Sure. So Danny Langsdorf's out the window at that point. Um, so is Mike Cavanaugh, Reggie Which, Davis, Trent Bray, Bob Diaco. Now, now that's the one thing that I know. You know, Mike Cavanaugh has kind of been the butt of the joke uh, around around the uh, well Husker fans, kind of. But you particularly because of your uh, you know expertise you know that there can be more pulled from the talent that we have in this offensive line depth and core that we have yeah I that that's the thing that gets me on the talent you know the discussion on the basis of you know the roster talent is that while we don't have you know, elite level talent and we definitely don't have depth you know in our roster talent there's you know there's talented guys on the roster in the offensive line meeting that aren't being utilized or developed or held accountable to you know a standard of play and that's acceptable to compete you know in the big 10 and you see that with the regression of nick gates you see that with the regression of Gerald Foster, guys don't, you know, they make the same mistake in game nine as they do in game two. And uh, so I think it's from the standpoint of there's more that can be had at this point, you know, from the available talent that we have. The staff was dealt a pretty bad hand back in 2015. They've done a nice job of, you know, upgrading, you know, roster talent to this point. But the development, you know, the other side of the talent coin 
there's recruiting, and there's development. Development, especially along the offensive line, has not been met. And I, I think it's uh, right as soon as you said accountability and then pairing that with development, these – again, I'm not taking anything away, you know, from the guys who are playing. Yeah, they might not be playing – at the level that we want, but again, they're doing a lot better job than I could. So again, take take yeah. my criticisms with a grain of salt, everybody. But knowing, you know, and this is a similar thing that you know we heard from Mike Riley in, in the quarterback situation when Tanner uh, was really struggling in the beginning, and everybody was calling for P.O.B. and he's like, you know, there's a reason that Tanner's our number one. There's a reason mm-hmm. he's going out. There is such a gap it seems, between the ones and the twos or, or you know, and off, on the offensive line, obviously it shuffles around a little bit more, um, but the, there's such a gap between the guys who are playing and the guys who aren't playing, and that's where the development has to come into play. Uh, you know, we've we got some freshmen out there right now. Um, all they need is a haircut, and then they're ready to go. Uh, but, you know, the, we need – when you when you're not developing your your backups as well, then your starters. I don't know if they feel that they can slack a little bit, um, you know. But there's nobody, you know. You can't bench them because they're still the best option, uh, you know. That that's that's the point I'm I'm trying to make is you can't pull a Nick Gates out if, when he's struggling because who are you going to put in his place? He's still the best option that we have out there. Yeah, uh, that. I can't even really put into words how frustrating that is when you don't you can't use the bench as an accountability tool because you don't have someone who's you know suitable enough to step in in the meantime and um, you would think that Christian Gaylord who is Gates's backup you would think that he would have developed within the same time frame because I mean Gates and him are on equal footing in the course of, you know, being, right. uh, you know, 2015 or from 20, they were, I think Gaylord was that class of 14. Um, they were here for 2015, 2016, now 2017, all under Riley and Kavanaugh. You would think that there would be some, you know, level of development for Gaylord as sure. well. But I mean, we have, I don't know if we've seen him for a single snap on the field at any point. So at that point, you know, it's just, okay, he's not as good as Gates. Gates is our best option to go. But how disappointing is that that there's not been development really in Gates at left tackle. There's not been development in Gaylord. You know, um, it's just kind of a sad state of affairs. And and either they're, you know, they've plateaued at their, you know, at their respective levels or mm-hmm. or they're advancing uh, at you know whatever advancing regressing whatever whatever progress uh, they're making they're doing it at the same because there's not even any any opportunity for Gaylord to you know see the game because apparently he's not ready yet you know and that's that's the frustrating part and and it's not just on the offensive line I think we're seeing that you know pretty well everywhere fortunately you know I should say unfortunately due to injuries but you know we've at least been able to get you know, a DiCaprio Boodle, some uh, time on, on the field. Uh, Markel Dismuke uh, has seen the field and, and played pretty well. You know, those are a couple of the young guys who, who are going to be some bright spots, I think, uh, in the future uh, for this secondary. 
But we talked, again, at length. We, we understand that, folks. But we talked, you know, about uh, the game in the trenches. I, I, I still believe that the game is won and lost in the trenches. And, uh, and especially on the offensive side, we haven't seen the progress that we need because, it, and again, going back to last week's conversation, because of, of the depth and the ability of these Big Ten defensive lines and, and what they've been able to do. So I don't want to – I really don't want to get on another 30-minute offensive line uh, kick. I know you you could. Uh, oh, definitely. <laughs> but I want to – we've got we, – we really do uh, have, have a lot to get to. Uh, we – We've been in constant uh, or pretty constant uh, contact throughout the week, sending notes and whatnot. Um, and this is a name that's going to come up again later. Um, but our, our, I don't know, can I, I guess maybe I should call him our one-time friend at Coronation, uh, who's moved on to other media outlets, uh, uh, former Nebraska uh, Cornhusker and, and uh, Washington Redskin, and also big uh, pro wrestling fan, Adam Carricker. Um, he had a – you'll appreciate this one, Haas. Uh, uh, Carricker was a guest on the My One Two Three Cents podcast uh, on the Jitter Monkey Podcast Network. It's been a while. Uh, I, I facilitated that. It's probably been a year or so. Um, that is a, a pro wrestling podcast on the Jitter Monkey Podcast Network. And uh, uh, the – I felt bad. I, I, I should have – honestly, I should have been the one to handle the uh, the interview since – I was familiar with Carriker. I, I, you know, knew you know knew of him. You know, when he's a Husker, uh, followed him with the Rams first, and then the Redskins, uh, and and you know the Carriker Chronicles, etc. Uh, but I threw um, the my one two three cents of podcast host Kevin Huntsberger. I, I I said here here's the contact information, man. Set it up, and it was it was not the best interview because <laughs> it, oh. it was not it, you know I would have been like yo you know tell me about you know. Playing because fo- obviously I would have been you know telling me about playing football for the Huskers and being part of that and and uh, the the conversation didn't lean again probably not a bad interview it just didn't lean you know where I would have you know gone with it but anyway um, anyway uh, Carricker went on his he's been very active and pretty vocal on social media the last few weeks um, but I want to read to you a quote that he attributed to Scott Frost. Uh, okay. that Scott Frost posted uh, in 2005. This is a long one, so folks, bear with me. Uh, again, all verbatim direct quote. When we won the national championship in 1997, nine out of our 11 starters on offense were from the state of Nebraska. We had a system in place that was able to organize and develop more athletes. Therefore, there were more players on a Nebraska practice field than most schools normally have. A great number of those players were walk-ons from the state of Nebraska who would give their heart and soul for the football team. Not only did that create a team that cared more about winning, it also made for a huge amount of caring and involvement throughout the state. When you live in a town like Funk, Nebraska, and you know Kyle Larson personally, it generates a sense of pride in our state for a program that could take boys from our own hometowns and develop them into players who could compete with and beat anyone, end quote. Essentially... You know the the traditional internet lingo of TLDR. Too long, didn't read. Uh, was uh, I guess we're not recruiting in state enough. We're not bringing uh, developing the walk on program perhaps as as we used to. Um, and it's basically saying that Nebraska kids care more about winning than non Nebraska kids. Which I'll only dispute that to the point of. 
yeah, Nebraska is in the middle of nowhere. We know that. It's it's a difficult uh, place to recruit to. Bo Pelini was so nice enough to uh, uh, go ahead and admit that. But Mike Riley's done it. He's brought kids in from all over, uh, West Coast, East Coast, um, you know, everywhere. So I think, and this is me, I've seen a few, you know, similar thoughts shared on social media. If you're going to leave your family and go a couple thousand miles away to play football, you're not going just because, by golly, I sure would love to be cold in the winter. Or, hey, I wonder what corn looks like. You're going there to win. And, and granted, this statement being 12 years old, different coach, different time, um, I see that as, hey, you know what? You know, there, there are kids. And, yeah, I know that where Scott Frost is right now, two-hour drive, you know, radius from where he is. He can see, you know, a dozen four-stars and two or three five-star players. I get that. You don't have that fertile recruiting ground. And I've spent time in Nebraska uh, around high school athletes. And by God, it sure would have been great to see some of them go to Nebraska. Uh, There's a kid from Scott's Bluff who is committed to Nebraska. That's awesome. Uh, You know, that's generating or – or uh, nurturing that homegrown talent. But you can't, at the same time, you can't lose the Noah Fants, who, by the way, had a hell of a game against Ohio State. If we could have had him against Ohio State, we might have only lost by four touchdowns, three touchdowns. I don't know. Um, So I don't know. Give me your take on that, because I've been going off here for a while. Um, I I think that if a, a kid is willing to leave his family and move to Lincoln, that he cares about winning and, and wants to try to right the ship or be part of something special if the ship is righted, I don't think they all have to come from Funk, Nebraska. No, I don't either. Um, I've never been the type to always trumpet the Nebraska kids thing. Um, while they might, you know, that back when Scott Frost first wrote that, about nine of 11 starters from 1997, that 2005 blog post. Mm-hmm. It was probably a little more relevant at that point. She had guys, you know, who were, you know, alive, born, you know, pre, you know, right around 1990, who remembered, you know, the years of, you know, the championship run. But now you're getting to the point of guys being born in, you know, what, two, you know, 1999, 2000, 2001. Yeah. Um, I don't think that there's any more inherent toughness in, you know, the kids right now in Nebraska than as juxtaposed to, you know, kids from out of state. While they might care more and they'll, you know, sacrifice to be on the scout team and they won't miss workouts and, you know, they'll always do the next right thing for the betterment of the team. Um, ultimately, I don't think that's what gets us back to prominence. Um, you're going to have walk-ons that, you know, supplement your roster, your scholarship roster talent, and you're able to plug holes, you know, with walk-ons. You're going to have your Nebraska kids, and that the whole, the whole thing with Nebraska kids, this whole dynamic is, it's not more Nebraska kids that we need. We just need better sure. Nebraska. You need the Nick DeLucas, who, you know, uh, R.J. Erzendowski, Easton Stick are all up at North Dakota State. Uh, Kyle Emanuel, who's from Skyler, who's at North Dakota State, is now at the San Diego Chargers. Noah Fant, who's over at Iowa. 
Um, going back, you know, 10, 10, 12 years or so, you had Noah Keller, who was from Kearney, who went to play for Frank Solich at Ohio. So you don't need more Nebraska kids. You just need the better Nebraska kids. And then you have that national recruiting, you know, that Nebraska's always had to partake in, California, Texas, uh, Louisiana, Florida, the East Coast. And then, you know, you, you build out, with the net, you know the the scholarship talent, supplemented by your recruiting base at home and in the 500 mile radius, and then further pl- holes are plugged with walk-ons. And if there was a national championship team at Nebraska again at some point, that nine of eleven starters from the state of Nebraska, as a proud native son myself, I would think that was pretty damn cool. Agreed. You know, but. I don't think it's, you know, the the panacea for, you know, where we're at. I, uh, I've i probably told this story before, um, but I listen to a lot of podcasts where they rehash the same story multiple times. So so uh, bear with me. Most people I tell the same story a lot, so it's all good. <laughs> Years ago when I when I was the, the sports director at Stereo AM 610 KCSR, Shadron, Nebraska, www.chadrad.com, uh, for all of your – panhandle news needs i suppose uh doing sports i got up early on a wednesday morning and i drove to rushville uh if you're not familiar with the panhandle if you think that western nebraska is uh, maybe grand island or or hastings you are uh, wildly mistaken uh drive out there sometime it's uh sure wide open spaces uh but i got up early on a wednesday morning drove to rushville and was there when an offensive lineman by the name of Brendan Johnson uh, faxed in his letter of intent to play football for the Iowa State Cyclones. Uh, So being the, I don't know, investigative journalist or whatever, the, uh, what was it, the Big Red um, Caravan, I guess. What's it called when, when they used to go around town to town uh, oh, you know what I'm talking about in the off season to generate the, interest the, and whatnot. The big red road show. Maybe. No, well, we, I can't remember now. The concept is, is, you know, we know what we're talking about. Uh, we can't think of the name. Um, the whistle stop tour. No, I don't know. But it, and I don't remember who all was there. Uh, I remember two people for sure. Jim Rose was there. Bill Callahan. It was the Callahan era. And there's a picture somewhere of me uh, dressed. In a shirt, long sleeve shirt, tie, little little uh, um, alfalfa goatee that I barely had because I was 22 or something like that, 23 at the time, uh, and a little stick microphone. And he was just having a little little sit down interview with all the area media. And I asked him, I said, you know, you may or may not be aware, uh, but there's a a kid from about 40 miles uh, from here who you know signed to play. At Iowa State, uh, what are you know? What are you essentially? The question was, what are you going to do, you know, about you know working and bringing on these you know the in-state talent? For the life of me, Hoss, I can't remember his answer, but I'm sure it was the typical coach speech, you know, that you were just giving up. Yeah, we're going to uh, try to find the best talent there is, and blah blah blah, bring him to Lincoln, blah blah blah. Um, but anyway, well, you know, Greg, we're just going to try to bring him to Lincoln. You know? <laughs> Probably too technical for you, but how do you? And this, when you have you know kids like Danny Woodhead, you know that's another Nebraska name that you know went on to do some pretty good things. 
Um, Harrison Phillips from uh, Millard West, who's at Stanford right now. There are, there is talent in Nebraska. What is it? How are they being overlooked? I mean, it is when it should be, you know, uh, allegedly every Nebraska boy's dream to put on the scarlet and cream. That was an accidental rhyme, folks. I'm not, I'm not putting on a, a poetry show right now. Um, but it, it, it allegedly is every Nebraska kid's dream to play for the Huskers. How do they lose in-state talent like that? I, I know, you know, we all know, I think by now, the Danny Woodhead story. Uh, Noah Fant's uh, recruitment was botched, uh, you know, for, by the previous regime. Um, but how do you lose someone to Stanford? You know, how do you lose these guys who are going to North Dakota State and then on to the pros, you know, from there? What? Where where did it all go wrong, Hoss? Where did it all go wrong? Well, I think in the case of like a uh, you know Harrison Phillips, if I recall correctly, Bo just botched that recruitment by kind of slow playing, you know Phillips and his family, and then it was kind of you know made worse by if if the story's correct, is you know secondhand you know stories in the state are you know taken as such. Uh, that he big timed Phillips' parents at some you know some function or something like that, and you know just kind of you know he wanted to. I can't remember. I I, I want to say that during his recruitment that he said he wanted to be a doctor, and I mean, well, in all honesty, what better place to go than Stanford for sure. that? But um, you know, but like Nick DeLuca and those guys who go up to North Dakota State and they end up you know developing into good players and then they you know, go off into the NFL like Kyle Emanuel. Those are guys who, you know, they have the option of going and getting school paid for at North Dakota State or taking out student loans and going to, you know, Nebraska, you know, as a walk on with the potential to earn a scholarship eventually. And they're taking the route of not, you know, having to go into debt, which as a Soon-to-be 27-year-old college junior, I can totally empathize <laughs> with. Um, yeah, that, that, I, every, that much every is time for sure I fill admirable. out FAFSA, I see that, you know, what I owe go, you know, up, you know, and I'm just like, gosh, man, you know, it, it sure would be nice if I could get done, get through college and get done with it without being in debt. So, I mean, I don't begrudge anyone that for their financial situation. But um, you, you got to, you know, the presence of North Dakota State's hurt our recruiting as South Dakota State and South Dakota as well with their move to FCS. So, you know, not like, you know, we're going toe-to-toe with them for the blue chip, you know, for our frontline guys. But the guys, you know, that you supplement the roster with and you plug some holes, you know, here or there. Um, It'd be, I mean, how nice would it have been to have Easton Stick at quarterback, you know, as an option at quarterback the past few years, you know, instead just Tommy Armstrong and Riker Fife. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, just kind of examples like that. There are uh, there were several games going back uh, where we were desperate for an option that wasn't Tommy Armstrong or Riker Fife, usually because Tommy Yo, was hurt, yeah. and then the only option was Riker Fife without burning a red shirt. We're like, no! <laughs> Zero-sum game. Uh, Grand Island represent... Uh, uh, have I don't know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna bury Riker. I got nothing against the guy. You know, he did the best he could in in the situations that he was put in. Um, exactly. You know, I I still say if he wouldn't have broke his wrist, you know, at the end of that in the second half of that Maryland game last year, 
I would have felt a hell of a lot better about our chances rolling into Iowa City with a healthy Riker Fife at that point than a, you know, horribly injured uh, Tommy Armstrong. Yeah, kept together, held together with duct tape. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I mean, pretty much. Um, you had said something to me. Uh, again, this is more speculation, but since the rumor mill is is amping up, uh, since Florida is without a head coach, Tennessee is probably going to be without a head coach, and I'm sure there are a few others as well. Uh, we saw a rumored list of names, uh, uh, you know, people who were of uh, interest, I should say, I guess, to the Florida Gators. Uh, Bob Stoops' name was on that list. One name was not on that list, and that is uh, our aforementioned national champion quarterback, Scott Frost. That amps up speculation uh, there was a, a lengthy post on Reddit, and I know you've said uh, that you stay off of Reddit. That's fine. Uh, but there, there, you know, just like everywhere else, there's there's Reddit for everything. It's kind of like Craigslist, except a little weirder, uh, which may or may not be possible. I don't know. Uh, but there was Craigslist, pretty weird. Yeah. Well, and then there's Reddit. Uh, but uh, there was a uh, rumor. I'll put this in the ways of uh, uh, something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard's Bruce Pritchard. Rumor and innuendo um, that Mike Riley was always just a temporary plan to kind of what we talked about here uh, just in different detail to kind of uh, get the bad taste. God, this is going to sound so bad. Uh, Get the bad taste of Bo Pelini out of our mouths um, and then, you know, kind of hopefully right the ship a little bit, get us back on track with that nice coach that everybody loves and, and wants to see on their schedule every year. Uh, and then eventually bring in Scott Frost. And this was, you know, from 2014, what, whether or not you believe that post, uh, the, again, the rumor mill being what it is, Scott Frost speculation running rampant. Um, it's there. Oh God, I'm going to, I can't. I was gonna try to pull a bad uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, Mister Freeze reference out of uh, from Batman and Robin from 1998. I believe I'm gonna pass on that one. Um, but anyway, uh, the the forecast for the off season could be a frosty one. You know things like that. I don't know. Um, you you made a, a nice comment uh, to me that said that you wanted to talk about uh, how if Scott Frost was brought in as the next HC how he could adapt and use the uh, personnel that Nebraska already has to fit his system. Is that something you want to talk about now? You want to save that for maybe when we have more definitive answers? Or, I mean, you, you tell me, Hoss. Well, we can touch on a little bit of it now. Uh, probably, it is a good idea to save some of it for when we have more definitive <laughs> answers. But, you know, the big question, I've got it, this question from a few friends of mine discussing this whole situation that we're in about what we do at quarterback next year in a you know, Scott Frost offense. And really, I mean, he's going to, like any good coach, he's going to adapt it to the personnel that he has on hand. You know, he's going to use more RPOs, you know, for Lee to control, you know, the deep, you know, defensive, you know, reaction and response. He's not going to be able to run zone read with Lee, you know, obviously. He's just not that kind of quarterback. 
but the threat of the passing game off RPOs and screens and you know quick you know just quick throws uh, attached to the run plays. That's going to keep the safeties back deep, you know, and open up things for the running game. It's going to function a lot like, uh, you know, like our game plan against Maryland last year with Riker Fife at quarterback instead of Tommy Armstrong. We had to utilize more screens and RPOs to, you know, account for that, you know, the loss of being able to play 11-on-11 football. and Probably some stuff like he'll line up Divino Zigbo in the pistol, instead of the shotgun to get him downhill a little bit more instead of running laterally. Although, um, Ozigbo had played, you know, a really nice game against Oregon last year, running laterally out of the shotgun on outside zone. So, yeah, and I think we're very well suited with our offensive line personnel uh, for Frost's offense, you know. Um, I think Tanner Farmer's one that's kind of hard to project because, you know, uh, he's not exactly the most fleet of foot and, uh, Frost really likes to move, uh, you know, guards around, pull guards and centers around. So, but then you, know, you got guys, you know, athletic guards in the wings like Farniok and uh, Raritan, Bo Wilson. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I think our personnel, and I mean, Brendan Hymas is, uh, I mean, just a textbook definition of a spread offense left tackle. So it'll be really interesting to see, you know, what some of our personnel's, you know, the nucleus of talent looks like in Scott Frost offense. Is it concerning at all that, you know, if if things happen that way, you know, if if Mike Riley is either dismissed or retires, I mean, if his if his tenure ends before, we'll, we'll just put it blanketly before the 2018 season were to begin uh and and scott frost is brought again this is all speculation at this point is it a concern that for the second time in we'll say four years uh a coach has to try to uh adjust his scheme based on the personnel that he is inherits that's what the big uh you know that, that that's why we've been so generous with Mike Riley is well he just needs time to get his players in place uh you know his because you know, Tommy Armstrong was the cemented in starting quarterback a uh, bit of a dual threat quarterback that didn't necessarily fit Riley's you know bread and butter now he had Tan- you know what I'm saying do we ha- is it a concern that we're again trying to pl- plug and play you know guys that n- don't necessarily fit the ideal scheme uh, or playbook of, of the head coach. Yeah, uh, that's always a concern when you're switching uh, switching philosophies and installing new systems. There's always going to be a acclimation period as you get you know you learn the new system, you learn everything, not only the plays, but you know block you know blocking might be taught a little bit differently, or you know a route, you know, for the receivers might be taught differently than it has been under Riley. So there, there's always that concern, you know, anytime you're, you find yourself in a transition year, which kind of learned the hard way, you know, this year with the Bob Diaco uh, defense, but let's not get yeah. going on that. I mean, we yeah, should like, talk let, about yeah, it, let's leave man, that, for another time. that it, at, at the beginning of the year, it was, uh, you know, against after the Arkansas State game, it was well. Why did he sneak out of here without 
giving a press conference. I think we just learned this week why Bob Diaco doesn't need to talk to the press. Um, yeah. I'm not saying he's not a good coach. I'm not saying that, you know, away from a microphone, he, I'm, I'm sure he knows how to talk. But, man, it, it's – and I know the, the Big Red Cobcast guys are, are having some fun and trying to raise money to get him a, a microphone, and you can check that out, uh, you know, just by searching that article out here on coronation.com uh, or Big Red Cobcast on Facebook or Twitter, um, you know, because he keeps holding a lapel mic. Like, it, it's supposed to go on your jacket, and he's holding it like he would a microphone. Uh, it, it's It's been the joke this week, but it's – I mean <laughs> – what he said, at least what I took away from what he said, and we talked about this as well, is you know that's not going to translate well to the public. Is he was basically saying, yeah, you know, I don't think I've got the guys I need to win. Yeah, that I mean, the TLDR version yeah. too long didn't read. Yeah, that's pretty much what he was saying, and a lot of it, like when he's saying, like, you know, the strain, like. I mean, just kind of, I'm kind of going off context clues here, parsing through the, his, what he was saying, sure. but kind of seemed like he was talking about the offense putting them in bad spots, um, you know, after the interceptions. And so, yeah, I mean, probably better off just not speaking at all. And I mean, that was kind of expected. That was you know, kind of his MO. But the first time, you know, when we hired him, I remember thinking to myself, you know, just a month before we hired him, I I had gotten home from Iowa City at 2 in the morning, you know, cold, tired, and pissed off, you know. And before I fell asleep, I saw on Twitter Bob Diaco's press conference after a UConn game. And, my God, they were brutal. I mean, it was the same thing as, you know, we saw against, uh, you know, or earlier this week with, uh, you know, talking about the tackling and talking about, you know, this, that, and the other that's afflicting the defense. But – so when we hired him in January, my first thought was, man, that's the that's the guy, you know, that's the old defensive coordinator from Notre Dame who has those weird-ass press conferences at UConn. And don't ever change, Bob. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know. I don't remember. Did Papuchas talk this much after games? I don't, th- I, I don't really know if Pelini – I mean, he couldn't coach. I, I can't imagine Pelini wanted him to talk any. Um, it, it's just – there, there needs to be one. Again, my opinion, there needs to be one voice after the game, win or lose, should be the head coach. Uh, and I don't think there's any room. There, there's no need for Bob Diaco to talk to the press. And when he does, you see what happens. Is he tends to be like, well, the offense put us in bad situations. Well, uh, you know, we don't have it. If I'm if I'm one of the men playing for him, I'm like, thanks, coach. See if I. You know, see if I give you maximum effort. You know, it. it yeah. It, it seemed. It just seemed, you know, bad form. Very, very. Uh, it just. It's one of those things where, when you, you know, when you win, say little. When you lose, say less. Yeah. It's, it's kind of one of those. You know, just keep the nose to the grindstone. Get back to work, and that's easier said than done. With, you know our fantastic media coverage of Nebraska football in this state throwing, you know, such a big fit after the Arkansas State game about the misunderstanding of him not talking. Sure. But, I mean, you can still talk to the media and, well, not give those kind of answers that we saw, you know, 
we heard from him this week. And then the tackling thing with Mark Banker, um, just, that's just a whole nother, that's a diatribe that I don't feel like launching into, but it's just another example of, hey, some things are better left unsaid. Some Just give them the coach speak, you know, the corporate coach speak, you know. Keep it, you know, keep your ass out of trouble. Exactly. Um, we're going to switch gears here. I've been trying for most of the season, honestly, to try to get more listener participation in uh, in the podcast. And, and uh, you know, by saying, hey, you know, after, after a game, you know, Give me your hot takes, and then we'll read them later. Or if you've got a question, send it in, and we'll do our best to answer it. And those have been met with tepid response at best. Uh, for the first time after the game last week, I got a hot take. Uh, this was after I had warned people that you were going to go scorched earth. And uh, I, I said, if you got a big red hot take uh, that you want to get off your chest, uh, drop it here, and, and we'll we'll discuss it. So... Uh, this comes from Facebook, uh, and by the way, you can find find us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash fiveheartpodcast. You can also find us on uh, Twitter, at the number five heart podcast. whereas on Facebook, five is uh, spelled out. But uh, Jack, I, oh man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to screw, screw this up so bad. Uh, Jack, Andrew, I'm going to say Borner, but I'm pretty sure that's wrong. Anyway. Uh, said thoughts on the tunnel walk. Uh, to me, they aren't pumped up. Meaning, I guess the players. Uh, he says that his daughter said the same thing uh, to him. Is it just us? So, but right before uh, we went to recording, this was the the uh, other bit of preparation that I was doing. I looked at a uh, a video of the tunnel walk before the Arkansas State game. I looked at uh, the tunnel walk before the Colorado game in two thousand six which, by the way, features some of the Brandon Rigoni audio you hear in the this intro every week. And then it was uh, a, I believe it was probably just the season opener or something like that, or, or one of them, uh, the Tunnel Walks from 1998. What I found, obviously the graphics got considerably better over the last 20 years, uh, but 1998, you were saying, or maybe it was 96, anyway. It was after a national championship year, and it had to be 96 because there were only two trophies that were in the graphics. Uh, so you had the excitement of being the defending national champions. In 2006, you had the fact that you were going back to Kansas City to play in the Big 12 championship, uh, and, and that was decided before Thanksgiving. And then in 2017, you have, I, I don't know, uh, and and I didn't I didn't give you any notes on this one, Hoss. So I apologize because you you could have been looking at the same videos or or um, but you've you've been to the games, you've seen the tunnel walk, uh, both I'm sure you know on TV, on on video, and in person. Is there a a lack of lack of fire, as I like to put it, lack of juice when when they're coming out? You would think that. When you're in the tunnel or when you're in the locker room and you are making that way you know, through the tunnel and you're about to run onto the field in front of 90,000 screaming fans, if there's not a time, it, it, if, I can't think of a better time in my week to get fired up. I watched that 2006 video because that's one of my favorites because it is you know, after uh, the nice uh, Zach Lee to Maurice Purify catch at Texas A&M 
where he goes up and makes that uh, catch. I get goosebumps hearing Brandon Rigoni talk about heart. That's why this is the Five Heart Podcast. Uh, you know, that intro also features, and those were changed up week to week, but that uh, intro also features uh, Zach Lee talking. It has, as we mentioned, Adam Character. Uh, he, he talks, and he's like, you know, I've been here five years. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get the ring. And unfortunately, he, he didn't. Um, but you, what is – you're in the stands. You feel the electricity. I watch the videos, and I'm like, you know what? What are the – as goofy as it sounds, you know, especially now, they're not playing to get to Indianapolis. They're not on their way to a national championship. I guess the last thing to play for is pride, and if they can't do that, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, uh, can't play for a title. Can't you know if there's not any external enticements for being excited to play. At least play for you know yourself, you know pride in yourself, family, you know the school, but. It it was noticeable against Ohio State when I was there for that game. You know, I think we discussed that the week after about just how um, I mean, it looked like a funeral procession more than anything coming out. What? And I I think that uh, you know it's easy to be excited when things are going well, but it's more important to you can maintain you know not. You know, you're not excited about losing or having a losing record, but if you can maintain that same excitement of having a chance to go out and play and hope, and to get a win, you know, that that shows a lot of character. It show in the context of this show, it shows a lot of heart. Yeah, and they've got three games left. They got to win two out of three to be bowl eligible. I mean, mm-hmm. they've got we're into the second game in November and they have four wins. I find that really unfathomable. Like I can't I can't process that and I don't know why because we're talking, you know, you go back to the beginning of the season and it's like, yeah, you know, uh Ohio State might be tough, Penn State might be tough. We should be able to win one of those and and be a one-loss team going into the Big 10 Championship game. <laughs> And now it's November. This game's going to be on Veterans Day, November 11th. And we have four wins. Oh, my God. Yikes. Yeah. When you, when you stop and you think about it and, and you, you try to process it, it, it is it's un, unbelievable because it's – I I've, I never root for a coach to get fired. Even Bo Pelini, I didn't root for him to get fired. After he was fired, I didn't shed any tears that he was gone. But I'm like, you know what? When you when you think about it from the standpoint of, hey, this is somebody losing a job. Uh, now I feel better about it knowing that they have buyouts and that they're going to be taken care of. You know, <laughs> but but uh, uh, I, I don't know. I like I don't. I like Mike Riley. Uh, I'm I'm not I'm not going to be one of those guys. It, I'm I'm going to be probably entrenched in in the dirt. I'm going to say. You know, don't fire him. I'm gonna still say that. I might say, you know what, bring Scott Frost in as an offensive coordinator and, and let him do that for a year. I don't know. I, we've talked about that scenario as well, but I don't. 
I don't know, man. Four four wins by Veterans Day. That's that's a tough pill to swallow. And you got to go on the road at Minnesota, where temperatures are, you know, forecasts are calling for cold. Then you go on the road at Penn State, and then right after Thanksgiving, you get to welcome Iowa, who just whooped that ass of the Buckeyes. I, at this point, I mean, one win seems, you know, hopeful. Yeah, at this point, it's, I mean, I hate to reduce myself to the same level of pettiness of those Philistines east of uh, the Missouri River. But at this point, just beat Iowa. I mean, just please, I can't do a third year in a row of them having scoreboard over us. Just beat Iowa. Whatever happens against Minnesota, whatever happens against Penn State, you know, let the chips fall where they may. But, I mean, the die's been cast this season. We know what's coming down the pike. Just beat Iowa. Is, is it? Is, is it? Is this Mike Riley's last year? Whether it is his doing or the uh, athletic director's doing? Yeah. Okay. It's yeah. It's his last year. the The Riley era is you know coming to a close. Yeah, it, it, it sucks. It really does because I mean I was no fan of Bo, obviously. Right. And I mean. It sounds bad to say, but you know, I I reveled in his firing. You know, I, it was gleeful. You know, someone like that, you know, had that much disdain for Nebraska. You know, it was it was great. But uh, with Mike Riley, you know, because Mike Riley's not an asshole, it's it's, tough. it's that man. Like it's I tough really to root wish this would have worked out. Yeah. You know, a couple more things before we uh, put the bow on on this week's and I guess we should at some point talk about the Minnesota game. I don't know. We we we've had we we've had quite enough it seems, but uh yeah, they're going up and and, and playing thank God it's back. The $5 bits of broken chair trophy. That's a, if they can't get fired up about that. Uh let go let, play intramurals, brother. Let let the fire burn within and and thaw the frozen tundra. Of the great white, not quite north. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, it's supposed to be cold. It, whatever, you know. It, you suck it up. You know, it, it's it's almost winter time, and winter hits uh, uh, a little closer uh, or, or a little sooner in, in those uh, northern states. Uh, go up there, take care of business. Take care of the ball. Have some fun. Bring back the trophy again. You know, keep it, keep the possession of the trophy. It was, the trophy made an appearance last week at the Blue Blood Brewing Company, which uh, our friend Ty Peter Onitz, uh has has uh, some shares and some some interest and some stakes in. And you too should partake of the Blue Blood Brewing Company uh, in Lincoln. So yeah, Minnesota, bring bring back the chair. I guess that's the only trophy I really care about. I want to beat Iowa, but I don't care about the High V Heroes Trophy. I care about the five dollar bits of broken chair trophy. There you go. Yeah, I care about the $5 bits of broken chair trophy, and I care about having scoreboard against Iowa. They can keep the Heroes trophy. They can keep like, it. Even when we beat them, just be like, yeah, th- thanks, no thanks. You guys take it back with you. That's you know, what- maybe you can trade it in at a Hy-Vee in Des Moines on your way back to Iowa City. We'll just enjoy the W. With that trophy, that's the type of trophy that the loser should have to hold on to. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, the last year when I was in Iowa City, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm cold, I'm pissed off, you know, and I'm sitting in the middle of a bunch of Iowa fans, you know, who are just going nuts. You know, they're up 40 to 10 on us. 
And I started hearing some Iowa fans talk about how happy they were <laughs> that the trophy was going to stay uh-huh. in Iowa City. And I was just sitting there, and I was just, for a split second, I was like, trophy? What trophy? And then I was like, oh, <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. You know? And if I would have been in, like, I don't know, a better mood, you know, a mood that, you know, a better mood that isn't, you know, getting beat by 30 points to the team you hate more than any other team out there, I would have been like, y'all can keep it, you know. <laughs> Seriously. Like, put, be a nice doorstop, you know. You we go. don't want, like, I should have told him, be like, I'm a Walmart guy anyways. I, I also go to Costco. <laughs> I don't go to Hy-Vee. I go to Hy-Vee gas station for the caribou coffee, but that's about it. Yeah, I like this organic, you know, organically yep. grown, uh, no GMO trophy uh, found here, the $5 bits of brokerage. Two more things to get to, and then we're going to call it an episode. Uh, and I want to uh, – I'm throwing a, a swerve at Haas because he doesn't know what I'm about to talk about. We're going to talk briefly about uh, Ric Flair's Nature Boy 30 for 30 that was on ESPN this week. But before we do, I and this – look. Our friends at the Big Red Cobcast, uh, Tweety and Pat, have been taking people's money and uh, shilling their crap, you know, for months now. Uh, I'm not even getting any money for this. I just want to tell you about HelloFresh, and at the end of the episode, I want to give away a box of good food. HelloFresh uh, is is a, a box of meals that come to your doorstep every week, uh, fresh, not frozen. Um, you know, meats, veggies, seasonings, everything you need uh, for a uh, delicious meal. Tonight, uh, my wife and I cooked up the sizzling southwestern chicken with a sweet potato, bell pepper, and feta jumble. It was all right. So I love sweet potatoes, Hoss. You like sweet potatoes? Uh, you know, I'm developing a taste for them. All right, I've got a recipe for it. It's my grandma's recipe. It makes it like candy. This is not my grandma's recipe. This is essentially chopped sweet potatoes tossed in some olive oil hit it with some salt and pepper put it in the oven let it get tender you put the bell peppers in the oven they also get tender when you take it out you you squeeze a little lime on there you you hit it with a little bit more salt and pepper uh you toss it all that is underneath and and the feta cheese and that's on the that's on the plate on top of that you have your thinly sliced chicken breasts with uh, that are seasoned again they they get they send they send you everything and it's all fresh, not frozen. Um, I put it straight in the fridge. We have meals three nights a week from HelloFresh. Uh, other meals, well, I don't have the other cards with me, but they send you the recipes. They send you everything you need. Uh, I think we've got uh, a steak meal in there and a pork chop meat meal in there for uh, later this week as well. The reason I'm telling you about HelloFresh, I look, I'm just wanting to share the good news. They're not paying me. I talk about HelloFresh to everybody. I want to hook you up with a free box uh, of three meals that's valued at about 70 bucks, and it's for free. All you got to do is interact on the Facebook page. Throw us a like. Go to iTunes or Stitcher. And uh, th- th- here's, what, here's what I really want you to do. I want you to go to iTunes and l- leave a rate and a review and screenshot it and put it up on the Facebook page. First person to do that, I'm going to send you a message, and uh, uh, I'm going to hook you up with the code that you need to get a free box of fresh food from HelloFresh. Hoss, does, does that sound? That sounds like a, a good deal. It's not costing them anything except a few seconds to rate and review on iTunes, the Five Heart Podcast, and I'm going to hook them up with free food. 
Yeah, I mean, it's food. I mean, I don't miss many meals. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where, I mean, you say free food, you know, the prospect of it. I mean, I mean I've listened to a lot of people on the quad at UNO who are handing out a flyer. If they've got food, you know, I'll, I'll give them a few minutes of my time as I'm on my way to the uh, yeah, to the Durham Center. What I like about HelloFresh is it's, for me, it's it's about portion control. I've always been a big guy, and I've always not ever really been able to stop eating. Like when I get going there, I tell this story a few years ago at Thanksgiving. Uh, I went back for thirds, and not like, well, you know, maybe just a little bit of turkey. No, I went like, all right, I need four more slices of turkey. I need another, you know, thing. Thirds. Uh, I needed elastic waistband that day, and I didn't have it. Um, portion control has always been uh, a, a problem for me. What I like about HelloFresh is everything's portioned out. It's really just my wife and I. Our son, you know, we share the food with him. He shares it with the dogs. We cook him up a hot dog. He's happy. You know, it, it's a. Uh, I don't have to worry about going back for. I don't have to worry about leftovers sitting in the fridge and growing fuzz, uh, because we eat it. It's delicious, and and we cook together. We bond. I, I can't say enough positive things about HelloFresh. Uh, so I want to share that with uh, a lucky listener. Uh, so again, all you got to do, go to iTunes, rate and review. Uh, the five heart podcast screenshot it and then post that on the five heart podcast facebook page facebook.com slash five heart podcast and i will be reaching out to you uh via facebook and, and hooking you up with a fresh uh, a hello fresh box valued at about 69.95 something like that so uh that being said did you know hoss that uh, the nature boy woo rick flair uh received a scholarship offer from the university of nebraska you know up until when i was watching on tuesday night i did not know that and i, I was sitting there and he was saying you know like typical big 10 school sure. you know she's from minnesota and it, like i was thinking i was like wonder if you'll say nebraska next thing he said it was nebraska and i just sat there for a minute i was just like okay i mean excuse my language here but i audibly said i was like well that's fucking cool yeah i mean it i didn't I didn't see that coming. I mean, I knew that he was, uh, you know, a great athlete. I didn't know that he was adopted, uh, but I knew that he was a great athlete coming out of uh, high school and a multi-sport athlete. I, I believe, uh, obviously, you know, amateur wrestling, high school wrestling, and then football. Um, what I didn't realize was, you know, and I knew he had been in a plane wreck uh, early in his career, but I didn't know that the time he was around like 250 or 260 or maybe even a little bit more, and then you know when he was essentially in traction because it was the 70s and wasn't doing anything he dropped down to like 180 uh yeah broke his back in three places i mean i knew about the severity of the wreck but i didn't know you know that that he became almost a shell of his former self but that allowed him to you know build himself back up i guess uh and then you know the fact that he's you know was still doing it still out there wrestling and taking bumps for another 40 years is insane i mean the fact that he's still you know kicking after talking about you know the what was it 10 beers and at least six mixed drinks every day for 20 years yeah, every day for and, and the and the doctor's like no you're serious you're you're joking right and he's like no 10 beers and a few mixed you know cocktails and it's like and, and still never showing up to work you know with any any problems or issues i mean that dude must have metabolized alcohol fast i mean he just must yeah i mean he must just have a gene or something, you know, that just 
ultra alcohol resistance, you know, tolerance. Uh, and I, folks, I encourage you, even if you're not a huge professional wrestling fan, uh, this is a, a story f- filled with highs and lows of triumphs and, and some tragedies. Uh, he had a, a, a son who, you know, had a, a brilliant amateur wrestling career and had a bright future in professional wrestling. Reed, who OD'd on um, black tar heroin and uh, and died, and, and that you know that'll mess you up. Um, obviously, and I, I don't I don't say that to you know like gloss over it or anything, but that you know that you see Rick's reaction just talking about it, and, and you know it's it's hard to not get emotional. Uh, when you're talking about you know your deceased you know offspring, um, but I learned I learned a lot. I, I you know I I had been a, a wrestling fan and and to an extent I still am, but but I don't watch it nearly as much anymore. Um, but man, I, I learned a lot and and the fact that he owned up, you know, to all of his failed marriages and and his womanizing and everything else. I mean, he he didn't shy away. They were tough questions, but he didn't shy away from anything. He's like, yeah. I, I screwed up, you know, I, monogamy was not for me and I, you know, just did it, did it wrong, did it poorly. So I, I got to respect the man for owning up to his mistakes, I guess. Definitely. Anytime someone puts themselves out there like that, you know, uh, I, I mean, all warts and all, I mean, what do you got to do? They, I got to respect that. What was your, um, biggest takeaway from, from watching that you know I would honestly have to say I didn't think of it at the time but until you mentioned it to me in the slack room I would probably have to say the Undertaker breaking character uh, for, and doing the interview you know which just kind of like you said speaks about you know the respect that Ric Flair had in that business and, and for those of you not in the know um, this is why I should have done the giveaway after talking about pro wrestling. We've probably lost a few people by now. Um, but The Undertaker... There you go. <laughs> uh, he, you know, since 1991 or two, I don't know, early 90s Survivor Series, he, he, there's been one guy. The Undertaker's been one guy, and he has protected that gimmick. I mean, he doesn't, you know, doesn't do interviews, hasn't written a book, you know, like The Rock or Austin or Mankind. By the way... Mankind's newest book. I'm enjoying the hell out of it. It's called, uh, I believe it's called Jolly Old St. Mick because Mick Foley also loves Christmas. Uh, so it's about his love for Christmas. But anyway, I digress. Uh, Undertaker's always protected his, his gimmick, his character. And so the fact that he was, you know, on TV and he wasn't, you know, like w- wearing all black, you know, that was that was different, <laughs> you know, just things mm-hmm. like that. But, uh, uh, yeah, he, he broke character for that. And, and that's a guy who, when his longtime manager... Uh, Paul Bearer, Percy Pringle died, and they honored him at, at a WWE Hall of Fame uh, ceremony before WrestleMania a few years ago. Undertaker came out, didn't break character, did his Undertaker shtick, and you know took a knee and held up his hand in, in homage to to his longtime friend and and like I said, manager. So it was again a guy who doesn't break character, who protects that character, who hasn't written a tell-all book, you know, breaking character to talk about. You know the greatest of all time, the Nature Boy. I was I was actually very much in shock about that, so I was uh, pretty pleased to see that. But uh, yeah, I mean that. You know, aside from all the all the drinks that he's ingested and the women he's bedded, and uh, uh, you know, 
not not too much else really jumped out as, as a shock to me. No, I mean it was pretty much par for the course with the Nature Boy. So you, you know what to expect from the Nature Boy. We don't know what to expect from the next three games uh, here in the Nebraska football schedule. That was not my best segue, but it was better than nothing. Um, but anyway, Hoss, final thoughts as we as we wrap up this episode of the Five Heart Podcast. Um, you know. I, I honestly don't know what to expect on Saturday. I don't know what we'll see, uh, how the team will respond mentally. But, uh, you know, bottom line, just want to see a team that, you know, wants to play. I mean, it sounds trite, but is excited to play for one another, if nothing else. You know, they keep fighting. So, it'll be, you know, I think it'll be a close game, but I really don't know which way this one's going to go. I'm going to say Nebraska by 10, just because I... I'm that not, would be fantastic. I'm nothing if not eternally optimistic, because I just can't... I just can't... Like, anytime I do predictions, which I haven't done predictions for coordination in, you know, a couple seasons, but I'm you know, I, I'm just not going to be like, yeah, it's going to be a tough game, but I don't know if... I think Nebraska might lose by three. I'm not that guy. I, I'm never going to root against them. I'm never going to believe that they can lose. Um, I thought that they were, you know, well, I, I didn't... I hoped that they would beat Ohio State in Wisconsin. You know, Penn State mm-hmm. coming up in a couple of weeks. You know, I, I I'll always believe that they have the ability. Uh, I'll never root against them, obviously, and I'll never, you know, bet against them. Um, I don't bet. You know, I don't have the spare scratch to to lose. But I'll, uh, you know, I'll always have faith that that they can get it done, even you know, in in um, in all kinds of weather. You know, regardless. So uh, we'll find out. But I say Nebraska by 10. You know, I'll give a score. It's going to be low scoring. Uh, I'm going to say, like, really low scoring. You think the conditions are going to dictate? What? You think the conditions are going to dictate a a low scoring affair? Yeah, that and a little bit, maybe a little bit of ineptitude on both sides. Um, I'm going to go 14 to 10, Nebraska. Haas says a four-point Nebraska win. I, I say 10, and I might even stretch that to 10 or more. I don't know what the line is, and until earlier today, I didn't even know what time the game was. Uh, but it is an 11 o'clock kickoff from Minnesota, and you can catch all the action on wherever the hell the action is going to be. I guess Big Ten Network, uh, probably. Um, but uh, anyway, that'll do it for this episode of the Five Heart Podcast. Remember, if you want a free box delivered to your door uh, of HelloFresh you know, fresh food. Uh, all you got to do is cook it and spend time with your loved ones and eat it. Uh, I encourage you to go to iTunes and rate and review the five heart podcast, screenshot that, and then share it on our Facebook page. And then I'll be reaching out to you. All right. So, uh, also if you subscribe to iTunes or, or to the uh, show on iTunes or Stitcher, you tend to get it just a little bit sooner than, uh, you'd see it if you just come across it on coordination.com. Uh, so, Um, that's all that's all i've got uh this time around we had some fun we'll do it again uh next time and who knows maybe next time we'll bring in uh ty to talk volleyball or david or or someone else to talk basketball uh because basketball season's about to start as well uh so that'll do it for the five heart podcast this time around uh for myself greg mahachko and my co-host hoss reuter reminding you this week and every week that five heart is all the heart you need go big red Win the damn game.
This is a production of the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. For more jittery shenanigans, go to jitterymonkey.com. Hey, 